This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. In this episode, we talk to Michelle Wheeler. Michelle is a wheelchair racer in the marathon on the roads and a Paralympic hopeful on the shorter events on the track. We talk to her about life as a mom, as an athlete, and as a professional mental health counselor. She tells us how she's been doing over this pandemic year, and we discuss how Paralympic athletes could be better represented and supported, as well as how she has been a role model for other kids to enter the sport. A few corrections on our catch-up ahead. If you love what we announced regarding And Mother and Caden Shea coming together to sponsor three athletes recently, head over to And Mother, where you can further support that initiative. We will have all the links you can imagine and more in our show notes at keeping-track.com. A big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good and thanks for keeping track. All right. Okay. Hey, hi, Molly. Hi. Welcome we back. We are here to catch up. Yes. yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Keeping Track. Um, back again. Yeah. So we're back. Me and Roisin, we're missing Alicia today. Yes. That lady is busy taking over the world as usual. Her nonprofit and mother and Caden Shea, her sponsor, have like sponsored three mother athletes with their Olympic trials journey. Which is yes. really amazing. Yes. Yeah. If you don't follow Sarah Vaughn, Don Harper Nelson, and Alicia Williams, head over to Instagram and follow them now so you can keep up with their Olympic dreams this year. Uh, we know Sarah is the 1500 runner. She has four kids now. She's never been sponsored in her career. She mentioned that mm-hmm. in one of her stories, which is amazing. She's made a world championship team before. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Don Harper Nelson is the hurdles goat she's olympic champion olympic silver medalist um and alicia see her coming back after having her daughter she thought she was retired still had the fire if anyone ever hasn't listened to our interview with dawn from this time last year it's still like my favorite episode so check it out we'll put a link there in case anyone wants to go back and listen to that um and we have to get sarah on we were saying that yeah we have to get sarah on We'd love to talk to Sarah. Legend. Love following her on social media. She's awesome. And Alicia is kind of an up-and-comer. She graduated from Baylor. She's an 800 runner. And she also has a daughter. Um, So yeah, and Mother and Caden Shea are really putting their words into action and supporting those moms. So that's great. Yeah, it's so cool. Well done to all involved. Good job, Alicia. Um, speaking of 800 meter runners, though, I want to give the Irish women a shout out. Um, the Irish indoor 800 meter record um, has been broken three times this indoor season. This mini indoor season is, is uh, proven to be a good one. Um, it was first broken by Nadia Power. And then a few weeks later, she broke her own record, brought it down again. Um, and now it's been broken three days later by Siafra um, Kleiner Butler. Um, and it's brilliant to see, uh, finally getting close to that crack in that two minutes. So she's on a two flat something. I can't remember the point, but they're coming together 
for the European Championships next week. So I'll be eager to watch that. So it's going to be fun. Yes. Um, it's exciting seeing championships happening. Yeah. It's so everyone should tune in for that one. And then, of course, hot off the track tonight, um, a thing. Okay. Can I say, we we re-recorded this intro because in the last one, we gave a shout out to A Thing and we were like, when will she run an 800? We're all waiting to see. And an hour later, she ran 158 at their conference championship all alone. Yeah. Um, so we were Smashing like... Smashing the NCAA record. Yeah, we're like, let's re-record. World under 20 record. <laughs> we yeah. got to re-record this because... Freshman running 158. And she's amazing. And it was so low. Like she just went out there and smashed it. World under 20 record. Um, I can't wait to see what the rest of this track season has in store for Athing Moo. After her 50 flat point something, um, 400 meter split and her blazing 600 meter time. It's like, it was just like waiting to happen. So it's so exciting to see. Yeah. She's one of of the really exciting athletes to watch this year. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out, speaking of the 800 to another young runner from Providence, our own Sophia Guerrerian, who is 15 or 16. I messed it up last time. She's 15 15 and she's run 202. So she qualified for the Olympic trials. So Mm. all our Providence listeners have to give an extra cheer for her when you're watching the trials. Yeah. Amazing as well. Yeah. It's so, it's so great to see these, um, athletes coming out and and getting a chance to compete again and as you know Molly you, you've had like this weird time where you haven't been able to race and you know what's the feeling just like dying to motivation just bubbling under the surface everyone's just ready to pop yeah you know I'd say I've noticed like it's probably different for myself but some of the younger athletes I think have just had time to train like professionals you know mm-hmm. like for example mm-hmm. the Ivy League kids had most pretty much all of their seasons canceled. And so I know a lot of them have kind of experimented with training at altitude. Um, right, we right. saw those two young guys run 350 oh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, yes. and I'm sure they've been able to train, you know, more base work. work and more just, you know, mm. haven't broken up their seasons with cross country, indoor, outdoor, like they've yeah, been able to just point. kind of be professionals for, you know, a short period of time. Um, block a training in. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering if maybe that's explaining some of the young kids running so well. Yeah. Yeah. They're very hungry for us. And yeah, they're finally getting these opportunities, which is great because, you know, sometimes it's the opposite when people have like, I only have this one chance or one chance it can be too stressful, but it seems like a lot of people are really rising to this and making the most of it, which is really great. Um, Yes, exciting to have a bit of sports back on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, regarding our speaker today, Molly, do you want to talk about Michelle Wheeler? Sure. So we talked today to Michelle Wheeler. Um, it was a really great interview. You'll have to forgive us for a few notification dings that we're going to try and edit out, but we don't want to lose anything that she's saying. We make up for our sound quality with our quality of person we're interviewing. <laughs> it's a really great interview. <laughs> And she's a professional wheelchair racer. She's also a mother. She's also um, a therapist, full-time job. And she, you may know her from winning the 2016 LA Marathon, but she's done quite a few road races and she's aiming for the Paralympics on the track this year. So, you know, you've probably seen her in the New York City Marathon. She hopes to do another fall marathon. And it was just great to learn a little bit about wheelchair racing, about the Paralympics, about how we can get more exposure onto them as athletes, um, mm-hmm. how, what that means and what that meant to her. So I thought it was a great 
it was a great talk. She's really lovely. Michelle was super honest about, you know, how difficult this pandemic has been um, for somebody who's working full time and also mothering her daughter and train as well. And how that's not easy for her with the gyms being closed and the winter in, in Pennsylvania and how, you know, she hasn't been able to do as much training and she's had to ease up on some things because she's trying to do so much. Um, and it was a real insight into, yeah, there's too much for some people, you know. I mean, she's handling with a tremendous grace and just she's so wise. I just felt like she had a lot of wisdom. And I think anyone, everyone should enjoy her her take on things. It's really nice. Yes, I agree. She It was maybe the counselor and her coming out with some of the things she was saying. But yeah, the honesty is really refreshing. I, we all feel it. You know, I admit to feeling that sort of burnout feeling, too, when you just are trying to do everything, but everything's just harder to get done during this time. So definitely important to commiserate on that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we'll let you listen to Michelle, but first we want to give a few shout outs. Um, It is, this is meant to be our February episode and February is black history month. Um, Even though we're going to be a little late for the month, we consider it black history, American history, and can fit in every month of the year. So mm-hmm. we wanted to do a cool resource for you guys to enjoy at track and field black history on Instagram has been really cool sharing stories of black track athletes who have made history who probably haven't gotten the spotlight they deserve. So that has been really great to follow. And it's also a podcast. So you can listen to it. They're short. They're really informative. They're really would be something cool to supplement your kids distance learning uh, a fun you know lead up to the olympics learning chapter um so that's at track and field black history anderson emerald's cool new podcast and instagram account yeah i'm gonna follow them right this second live we're following them live (laughs) join me And um, we wanted to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. And you'll hear more about our uh, partnership with them. We're doing a little contest and we'll give you all the details later on in this episode. Brilliant. Can't wait to hear more. So great. Well, enjoy the enjoy the interview and we'll see you guys back here soon. Thanks for keeping track. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Woohoo. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. We're hoping to get this one episode in under the buzzer for February, fingers crossed. But we are talking with Michelle Wheeler. Um, For those of you that haven't heard of Michelle, she is a professional wheelchair racer. She started as a sprinter and has moved up to a lot of road events, which is where I met Michelle at some of the New York Roadrunner events. You may know her from winning the LA Marathon in 2016, but she's her career has just stepped up since then. She's aiming for her first Paralympics this year and also is a mom to a 12-year-old daughter. Soon to be be 12-year-old. And she works a full-time job as well. So we'll let Michelle take over and just talk a little bit about um, who she is and how she got started in sports. Sure. Thanks so much for having me today, guys. Um, So I guess I will start. There's so many different roles I have. So I will start from the basics. Yes, I am... Um, a pro wheelchair racer. Um, I've been in a game since 2016, which is still fairly new. Completed in almost all the majors at this point, except for a few. Um, you know, the goal of 2020 was to, you know, obviously um, going to Tokyo 20, or uh, actually, I guess the goal was 2020 originally to uh, the Tokyo. Um, now it's 2021. 
And so when I first started my career, I really was a full-time grad student. I had a full-time job, full-time mom, training full-time. It was just chaos, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say the least. Um, And now since then, you know, I've kind of transitioned. So I graduated from grad school um, the end of May 2020. Um, I started my professional counseling career. So I am a clinical rehab and mental health counselor. Um, So I started my new job, uh, which is quite amazing. And then, you know, obviously COVID hit, right? So things just kind of uh, spiraled out of control and just trying to figure out how to do everything and be great at everything with, you know, the midst of the pandemic. So um, I started my job. My daughter started remote. Boy, that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, and then training kind of, honestly, was kind of up in the air of how that was going to work, you know, because with training, you didn't want to train too hard and peak too soon. Um, But then it also became more complicated because, you know, my routine of going to the gym and having access to the track was completely taken away from me um, right after grad school. So that has been probably one of the most biggest challenges that I have faced, but I'm sure many other athletes are um, faced too, if, you know, they don't have uh, access to a facility to train to. Um, so that's been really interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of um, where I'm at. I probably was all over the place right there. Um, <laughs> I know you've like three, four parallel lives going on there. Yes. <laughs> <That's> the <story. laughs> yeah. Love it. Well done. Where did you say you live right now? So um, right now I'm still in Pennsylvania. You know, I didn't move after grad school just because of the pandemic. So I'm mm-hmm. still you know, in my town home, trying to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also been very interesting in itself. Um, so I'm still in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm working from home, which has been really, really nice. You know, so that was going to be my job anyway, to work from home. So that transition was really, really smooth. But I think what's been really hard is the remote schooling. Like my daughter is home with me, which is nice. You know, we can do yoga together and have lunch together. Um, but when I'm working an eight hour shift, it's kind of hard to stop in between to help with like math homework or just little questions or when the computers seem to break every other month. I have no idea what's going on with that. Having to go to the schools, you know, it's really just juggling all these jobs in an eight hour day, which is kind of impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's nearly yeah, exactly. So um but it's, you know, we've kind of smoothed out the wrinkles for the most part. Um, every now and then the internet is really slow or not working, but she seems to be doing really well with it, which I'm really, really happy. You know, she's been able to really focus herself. And um, I had to teach her how to, it's very interesting, how to organize yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think at such a young age, it's really hard concept to understand, I think, and really mm-hmm. how to, um how to manage her, her own time a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, some of the kids are virtual, um, have virtual learning, others have remote learning and others go in the school. So really teaching her, okay, this is when you start your day, you know, when you have your lunch, don't work through your lunch, you know, and yeah. I'm not available between this time and this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. She's kind of forced to take control of it. Be on, yeah. On bit. Really, yeah. Yeah. That kind of grow up, you know, it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like I was saying earlier, I feel like we have to make our own infrastructure kind of now with COVID. So like I was talking about with you 
from the sports standpoint of making your own gym, but even like our kids and us with work, those yeah, of us mm-hmm. working, you got to make your own office, your own time schedule. Like it's, yes. it's crazy. And even yeah. your own balance of like, when do you stop work? Right. Mm-hmm. For me, like I can work and work and work from being at home, but it's like, okay, when is my hard stop? When I had time for myself, time for my daughter, time to train, like really mm-hmm. like finding that right balance, which I think we're all kind of experiencing of how does that work? And then really recognizing when mentally we are breaking down and we mm-hmm. are probably just burnt out. Right. Yes, so. totally, <laughs> totally. I have yeah. definitely bled into the burnout phase by just being like, I can do this, this, this. And then it's like yeah, the end of the day, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't stop. <laughs> but you know yeah. what? I actually started that phase prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, because again, I have all these roles that I was doing mm-hmm. and I was talking to a few of my friends and I didn't realize just how unhappy and how burnt out I was mm-hmm. when I in grad school. You yeah. know, I was trying to like write a thesis and like trying to find a job and like yeah. trying to keep training. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. You want to run further and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change. And that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering the ultimate prize package giveaway exclusive for our listeners. One lucky winner will get over $1,500 in Inside Tracker value. To enter, just go to insidetracker.com slash keeping track because change is an inside job. I don't know if it's like the athlete mindset that comes out. You kind of think I can do it. And it's just like the striving, you're, you're well used to striving and yeah. pushing through, but this backside of that or the shadow side of that is that you can kind of bring yourself out. So Right. And it's funny because that and then it's, it's like the competitor side of you and people always ask me, hey, what are you doing? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Like you're kind of expected, right? To mm. if you're if you're taking time to breathe, you're still mm-hmm. expecting your best. And when you're not, oh my gosh, what happened? Like what's going on? You know, I mm-hmm. remember one race I did where I didn't do so well. I don't even know why, but it was like, oh, like, well, how'd you feel about that? And it happens, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's okay, but as an elite athlete, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes when yeah. kind of getting that kind of um yeah, you know? the performance and achievement and right. but uh yeah, it's not so easy to rest. Right, exactly. <laughs> and but something I'm working on as well. So we're all we're all in the same boat here. Yeah. And and so what I'm realizing too, with COVID, that's been my main focus. Like, you know, I, yeah, I'm still an athlete. I'm still training, you know, I'm still really balancing two careers if you, if you want to say, but I've been giving myself a lot of grace and just a lot of just like, Hey, it's okay to do nothing. I don't have to train today. It's okay to sit down and just relax because I'm noticing just, we we are all mentally struggling, whether you're an Mm -hmm. athlete or not. And you don't always have those people that recognize that or those to talk to about that. Um, so, you know, really like u- using my friends for, for guidance yeah. and, you yeah. know, just kind of talking it through with them a little bit. So that, that's really helpful. And COVID has really helped me to just stop, I think, a little bit. 
Great. Yeah. And it's good to model that as well, especially in your role, right? As a therapist, you probably see your clients and and could recognize it easily, easily yes. in them, right? But then it's <laughs> yeah. actually modeling that. It's another day. so funny because some people are like, oh my God, I'm so burnt out. I just can't. I'm like, girl, me too. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Yeah. I love it. I love being on this interview with two the two counselors. <laughs> I feel like I want to lay it out and be like, okay, yeah, guys. Come on, Molly, talk to us. <laughs> um, Michelle, can we hear a little bit about like, what would your normal training day sure. be like? And then with COVID, like, what have you been able to do? We know you've had to get creative. Did you race it all? Can you kind of tell us, tell sure. us that? So prior to COVID, I had a pretty strict routine. You know, I'm waking up early in the morning. You know, I'm putting in probably 10 to 15 miles, um, you know, and then I would, um, well, depending, because I actually ended up quitting my job partway through. So I would either go to work or I'd go to school. Um, you know, my daughter at that point, she's, she is so great because she just gets herself up and get ready to go. So all I have to do is really just say, Hey, bye. I love you. Have a good day and kick her out the door, you know? So it was really nice that she kind of had that for her. It still does honestly for herself. Um, and then, um, after work, um, second workout for the day. So depending on which day it is, I'm either going to the gym or I'm hitting, um, the rollers, you know, at night. Um, and that was pretty Monday through Saturday, most, most days, you know, so six day training week, pretty consistent, you know, train, work, train, work, and then you have your off day. Um, and I was hitting, you know, competitions back to back. Right. But now what's changed is, um, again, I don't have access to the track anymore. So, and then our winter, I'm so ready for summertime. Mm-hmm. It has like snowed out here <laughs> every day. So I'm just ready. So, you know, it's been really workout, um, roller trainings, but the gym I had missed out on because I can't get in there. And it's not that I can't, but you really have a very small window. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have to get there by 530 and out by six pretty much before everyone kind of starts trucking in. And I'm like, I don't want to go through all that. Um, plus, it's just it just wasn't sustainable, I think, just kind of um, going in like that. Um, so now, you know, I, ha- I have bands at home, a lot of free weight kind of, um, strengthening, but I'm, you know, that really does impact the muscles gain and loss really. Um, and then as far as training, it has produced a little bit just because again, not really being sure how to train without having to peak too soon. Um, plus, like I said, just struggle, you know, I work a nine hour day, some, some days, you know, um, and then juggling with my daughter. I just, sometimes you don't feel like it, you know, yeah, and yeah. I hit five, you're like, it's bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> and with no, con- like with no competitions, I'm sure it's like, when you have that set goal, it's like really, it's motivating. And what is that? Are you finding that hard when those things are pulled Definitely. away that it's like harder to get that? Yeah, it is. And yeah. you know, it's funny. So I know a lot of the wheelchair racers actually had tried to get together and put through Zoom meetings, which is really nice. Um, but I couldn't join because of the times that they were. So, um, but they may, they may have had a weekend one, but I'm not sure. But that's really nice for those that are, you know, maybe had a bit more flexibility during a day um, to work out. So people were trying to figure out how to kind of get together and keep that motivation going. Um, which was really nice, but it just didn't work out for, for my schedule. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely by myself training, which is hard to begin with. Is there anything, is there anything on the horizon? Like, is there anything qualification? You're saying you you can't qualify for Tokyo. Like what's the, so 
I know trials are coming up in June. Um, so okay. we're planning for that. Um, so also I got invited to do the mini, uh, New York mini. So, um, okay. I'll try to be there for that as well. It's, I think it's a week, of, week apart though. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that works. But as far as track competitions, I have no idea, like nothing yeah. has been set in stone yet. And I know like, so it's really interesting because our marathons are actually in October, I believe. And they're back to back to back from what I can see, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to double check as it. Now. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. And, you know, mm-hmm. training for that to, to begin with, we're used to like going out, you know, and then maybe having a week and going out again. Right. But to have a, two marathons back to back, that's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many people are going to be able to have their best competitions having to race like that, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping they'll figure that out and it's going to work for people. Where your trials in, in June, where, where are they? Or They're in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, so Minnesota. As before, I believe. Um, okay. That hasn't changed at all. So Olympics and Paralympics are, are uh, mirroring that. I think we are a week after, I think, uh, okay. the trials. But I'm and what sure. distance will you will you try to qualify? Like, is there a particular distance? Um, I'm probably going to do um, the 400, the 100, maybe the 800, but we'll have to okay. see. Okay. Um, Yeah, I I do a lot of sprint, you know, my track. So it's really interesting because I'll do more sprinting for track and then I'm long distance for a marathon, which is probably Mm -hmm. so backwards, but. (laughs) No, and you're able to do it all. It's versatility. (laughs) Yeah. um, So, and again, I'm not really sure because, you know, my, my goal was 2020. um, Mm. And so now starting a career that has definitely changed up a a few things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still trying to figure out that's still the goal. Yeah. Yeah, A year, a year is a long time in an athlete's lifetime. And I feel like it, this year has changed so much for so many athletes. And there are a lot of them who are like, okay, the Olympics. And then I have a plan for after it's just all mashing into each other. So it it just Mm -hmm. makes it harder. We'll be rooting for you though, if you do though. (laughs) (laughs) But I still do plan to do marathons. So even if I haven't decided yet, I think really going back and forth with it in my head, but even if I don't do like Tokyo, I'm still doing marathons. I love, love doing marathons. Like I I enjoy it way more than being on the track, quite honestly. Um, So I'm still planning to do um, some of the marathons in October. I'm not sure if I'm doing all of them just because that is a very, very, very tight. time frame yeah and how did you get into doing the marathons you were saying in 2016 you just decided to give it a go or yeah so (laughs) when I was training so it's very interesting I've been wheelchair racing since I was probably like a little you know I I took a big break um in between and then I got back started when I was in my 20s um but I always loved wheelchair racing and I love being on the track when I first started, I hated long distance, like with the passion. But I, I have to say, when I did my first marathon, which was Chicago in 2016, I guess officially like going pro, I loved it. Like, I was like, this is amazing. And so, you know, obviously I was not as good then as I am now. And I, I don't know, for me, it was just like, I was so hungry to like get more of that and get better at what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I really excelled in the marathons, you know, a lot more, I feel like than I did in track. 
And that was kind of a turning point. And all my friends I met and all the people I met, I'm like, this is where I want to be at, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I think after that, and then I think the year, after, it had been two years afterwards, I did LA. And when I won, it was like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and you get rewarded. <laughs> yeah, the reward is definitely yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What is that like in wheelchair racing as far as making a living at it? Now, I know you worked, but are there sponsorships? I know there's prize money, but it sounds like it could be from the outside. It seems better supported even than it is compared to, you know, what other athletes are making. Like, sure. what is that level like? And do you have what? a sponsor currently? Um, so right now I don't have a sponsor. Um But so, so, okay. So a few different parts. So we'll talk about, um, the payout. So the payout is definitely very different between the able-bodied world and the Paralympic side, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I think we're still fighting. Um, you know, I, in a way I understand why it is the way it is, but it's a really big gap. And I'm really hoping that they fix that because, you know, if an able-bodied wins a race, you know, that's helping with training and then really helping them continue to full time focus just on training and doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the payout, you know, depending on which rate you're going to and how deep they're paying, it's not a lot. Right. So you're still having to sustain yourself as an individual um, and then worry about training. So it's very hard if you are not one of those top, top athletes. It's very hard to sustain yourself financially mm-hmm. and be an elite racer. Um mm-hmm. For me, I have been very lucky with how my world has worked. Um, and I've been very, um, you know, all my jobs I've had so far have been very, very accommodating. Um, and I've done pretty well um, in the race world, right? So I have a bit of a little buffer. But, you know, we can't say the same for all athletes. And I think, too, it takes money to get into this field, right? And so for me, I have to hit a time to, to be invited to races, as um, the elite mm-hmm. do as well. Um, to hit a time to go to these races and then to have people fund me to go. But okay. if you know, and if you're just getting started, you're not quite there yet, and you don't have a great trainer, it's really hard to kind of bridge that gap to get over to this world. Yeah. So I kind of wish there was more to kind of um, bridge that gap a little bit. Development, like kind of yeah. development, yeah. Right. So um, that in a nutshell is hard. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I missed the other question. Well, just asking more about how that could be better supported. Um, And especially just thinking about making it easier to enter because it seems like the technology is part of it, right? You need a good racing chair and those probably are not cheap or easy to come by. Yeah, and so the racing chairs, I mean, they can start anywhere from 3,000 but go up to like, I want to say the BMW was probably like 25,000, right? And so they do have this uh, Challenge Athletes Fund, which is good, but also they only have a certain amount of money to do that, right? But the bigger part is training and having a great trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had lucked out when I had came to Penn State and I had someone willing to train me and that was great, but not everyone can, you know, get to University of Illinois or get to, you know, these other, there's, there's very few uh, coaches out there for Paralympians. Okay. Um, now I'm not sure how that side works for uh, able-bodied. You know, I'm not sure if you, if if you require to have the coach and all that. But I think for um, as far as a qualification um, to get into start training for Tokyo and all that, you need to have a coach. And if you don't have it, you know, even if you're good, then you know you're probably not going to be able to get in. So mm-hmm. I, I think the other part is. The more I think awareness we are creating 
um, in facilities and physical therapy, you know, in doctor's offices, right? When you're injured and really getting um, that proper direction to say, hey, you know, you can go on to do these sports and here are some resources to get involved. Then you can really start creating more resources and more funding for people to get involved. Because another thing is we are a small group, right? We are not as large as the able-bodied world when it comes to sports. And I think that has a lot to do with our funding. Um, you know, so I think the more that we are able to um, become not inclusive, but I guess more aware mm-hmm. of, of sport, then we can really help get more, more people involved. Yeah, see so more participants, so a bigger reach, and then more more athletes, more everything. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. So it's definitely a hierarchy for sure. But if we can mm-hmm. get, we can have you- the foundation, which is nice, right? So it's just kind of building on onto that. Yeah, well, we have some very visible superstars here in the U.S., like with Tatiana McFadden, and you would think that would get, I mean, she probably does help grow the support for the sport, but it could could always be more, right? (laughs) Right. I think the more voices we have and the more, and I think the more, you know, parents who are, you know, because it's really started with the youth, right? I got started when I was like 10 years old, I want to say, you know, and I had really, really amazing parents that advocated for me to get me to the sports that knew about the sports to get me on this road. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the other athletes who are now um, really elite level and pro at this are are really great at this. um, They had the same kind of support, right? But if you are newly disabled or have parents who are not quite aware of how to get involved, or maybe the school system is not allowing you to get involved Mm -hmm. or have no idea how that works, then you're hindering that child and that's in that person's future career really yeah. how to be um, a part of society in that way. So mm-hmm. um, have you seen um, or heard from girls that look up to you and started wheelchair racing because they saw you? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I miss, I miss traveling so much because I get it the most when I'm traveling. I've had mothers like reach out to me. They will stalk me in the airport <laughs> And just say, hey, can I have your phone number? You know, so you can talk to my daughter. You know, how can you give her some encouragement? Can you get her involved? You know, and I love it. I, I love, I'll take all the time in the world out for it because it's needed. You know, parents and even just children are, are people in general with disabilities um, don't always know how this world works and mm-hmm. how to get involved in these sports. And, you know, growing up with disability is hard. You know, um, I think growing up as a minority is hard, period, right? Even as women, it's hard. And I think if you don't have anyone guiding you, it's going to be even harder, you know? So um, I've actually had a few people reach out even over um, the quarantine or during the pandemic to ask if I'd be interested in providing some coaching, which I'm always interested in. So, yeah, I've done a few things during this pandemic. Um, I know NYRR, our New York Roadrunners, reached out to me. I did a... um, uh, a little training um, meet and greet there with some of the kids. It's really, really fun. I, I love to seeing their progress. Um, so yeah, it happens uh, a lot actually, um, which I really, really do love to do. And I think it's all a part of it. Yeah. Right. I want to say New York Roadrunners even, didn't they um, start a program where they're they're providing chairs for some of the youth yes. racers? That's huge. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. I think more and more people do this, which is amazing that's what we need yeah there you go yeah these big city races with their deep pockets you know (laughs) get them that's that they can lead the sports in that way it's great because there's so many people in that area that can use that I mean that's a huge I mean that's a a major hub 
you know, if you're out there and you have disability, definitely look up New York Roadrunners to see how you can become a part of that. Because, I mean, I think you just increase so much more awareness there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And then more accessibility for more people and they get to benefit the sports. And yes. yeah, and uh, that's brilliant. Which is that's exactly what we need. Yeah, well, I think New York also uplifts the athletes really well from a media standpoint. Um, And obviously, our podcast, the goal is to uplift female athletes who don't get quite enough of the media spotlight. Um, What do you think could be done better for Paralympians as far as media and representation um, and just knowing yourself how important that is for athletes that, you know, you benefited so much from sports. You really want to see that more often. Definitely. You know, I think really increasing the coverage is huge. Um, I know this year they are for Tokyo, they are working on that, but uh, yeah, exactly. Um, really increasing the coverage on our races, right? Lots of you watch, New York is really great at it, but um, lots of times you watch our races, um, you see a lot of the able-bodied runners and you might see like a pop or two of like a wheelchair athlete. And I just feel like, we need more because we're mm-hmm. all athletes, right? We all work just hard to get here. We are all mm-hmm. strong. You know, we, it's not any easier being yeah. a wheelchair athlete, you know? So I think the increased coverage and really not spotlighting the disability, right? I yeah. feel like this has been my constant struggle mm-hmm. with ableism and just microaggressions and period, right? We are, we are athletes, yeah. We're not our disability, right? We are not our color. We are not our our gender, right? Like we we, we are people. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get to see the skills, the real true skills and abilities of people, you don't see much of anything else, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to I always get these um <laughs> I'll, you know, especially, you know, I love where I live at, but every now and then you, you'll get these, oh my gosh, you're so inspiring. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to the grocery store. I don't know how to mm. do anything, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, it's right. so interesting where it's, it's kind of like a insult almost in a way, mm-hmm. right? I, I was going to say, is that like a microaggression? One of them, totally. that kind of totally. comment. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, and so really, so when highlighting sports in the media and the Paralympics in the media, we're highlighting their abilities, their hard work, their success, their uniqueness, right? Yeah. In this world, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think when you're able to do that, you'll get so much less of this, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. There's yeah. wrong with only two legs, you know? And you're like, yeah, yeah. When the London Olympics and um, Paralympics were there in 2012, um, it was amazing to see the success of the Paralympics was like the most successful Paralympics ever and they sold out the stadiums like every night and it was then really interesting campaign and kind of like thanks for the warm-up for the Olympics like there was like (laughs) around the city it's like thanks for the warm-up now like the real games is about to begin and like it's amazing to see when and when the sport was like yeah treated like properly like a sport like what's everyone tune in here and um, people were engrossed and they absolutely loved it. And the yeah. viewership was amazing. So there's there's no reason why it can't be more of that. Exactly. Exactly. So, right. And I think it really sent a message too to children, mm-hmm. you know, representation definitely matters, right? Yeah. You know, I, I remember growing up, you know, I used to, um, in fact, I think myself and my brother were the, we, we kind of started the, uh, we were the only two, athletes with disabilities in our school 
And I wanted to be on the track team. Like I wanted to be on there. And, you know, um, the kids thought it was so cool. They, they loved it. Right. And I never was seen for my disability with my, with my peers because they're like, Oh, she could do this. Oh, she's on our team. You know, they did, they were so pumped to have me there, you know, versus some of the adults were like, Oh my God, good for her. And it was like, no, you're missing the point mm. of, of this mm-hmm. thing, you know? And yeah. You know, what was powerful? I don't, did you see the rising Phoenix documentary? Were you, you might've been in it. I don't know. Little clips, I know I was. <laughs> but um, some of the race clips, but I found they did a really good job you know, highlighting yeah. just the athleticism, how amazing the sport is. Yes. Um, and I feel like part of that definitely in the marathon majors would be just showing the race play out more. Like you said, instead of just snips, clips yeah. here and there, really yeah. showing like the moves that are right. made and more, more, yeah, just showing more. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just, and even like the, phys- like, like I mean, think with all sports, like understanding the sport and like the physical test that you're under, you know, it's just, I think sometimes you don't get that enough in track as it is. And mm-hmm. um, so as well, like understanding like, wow, that is, <laughs> that is amazing. But like for, for what your the physical feat that you're doing or any right. athletes do. Yeah. 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 Seeing the strategy that goes into it and the hard work. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like I love watching the races when I'm not a part of them and you can see like the strategy, the skill and you know, the really the dedication and, and the, in the pain, right. The pain in the sport, you know, and it's just, I, I love it. I, I think it's the most incredible thing. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, like that representation does matter to see, you know, that virtuous cycle of like, when we see something we're like, Oh, that person belongs there. And then I belong there if I see them. And like, it's just so important. So the media could do a better job with that. She thinks, think especially now, you know, this pandemic has 2020 itself was just one heck of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go backwards, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we were faced with the pandemic, a lot of racism, a lot, we, we were able to really sit I think, you know, we, this world stopped. And when the world stopped, we were able to see a lot of these things that have been going on for such a long time hit us. And I think it may, it forced everyone to see, Hey guys, we have some real problems out here. What are your thoughts on trying to get better representation in wheelchair racing? I'd imagine you're often one of the only black wheelers out there. Have yeah. like, what is, what is the barrier there? Do you think it's access to the chair, the racing? I think it's a, few, a lot of it, I think it's financially, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really do because, you know, my parents, you know, I was adopted when I was nine, they were able to, you know, they had their weekends off. They made sure that we went to races or races and just competing period in sports every weekend. You know, they drive us out to Baltimore, which is like two hours, two and a half hours away from where I lived at every weekend so that we could swim or that we could play track or, or play football or track, you know, all these different sports and then come home. And even they had time on the weekends to do that. And they had access to chairs. People donated chairs or they had their own chairs and they were ready to pay for that. I think when you're looking at the overall view and looking at percentile, a lot of minority children do not have that. Um, that same access. Um, so like New York Roadrunner does a really great job um, really focusing on that, not focusing, but really um, helping out that community, especially in New York. But if you're not in a major city, like um, another place, Philadelphia does a really good job of uh, PCAS, uh, Philadelphia Centered for Adaptive Sports. They do a really great job really getting the kids involved and really um, 
you know, helping as much as they can to donate equipment, right? So these major uh, cities in some places are able to do that. But when you don't have a major city or don't have access to that city or living somewhere rural, then you don't have that opportunity and you're therefore forgotten about, right? So barriers to entry are there and they can't be overcome. Yeah. Totally there. And then, um, where's I going with that? So barriers to fight financially, I think is a big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or big, big downfall. Hey all, I'm back with some more information about the Inside Tracker Keeping Track giveaway this month. Inside Tracker is an ultra-personalized nutrition and wellness platform that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers. We're partnering with them this month. The contest ends March 14th and listen to what you could win. This is a $1,500 value, including two Inside Tracker Ultimate Tests, one Inside Tracker DNA kit, two Inside Tracker InnerH tests, and a review with a registered dietitian. I know Alicia has already started using Inside Tracker, and we had a little talk about how some of the things you may think you have optimized with your own health and your blood levels, you may be surprised by. So I'm gonna get on it myself. We have a link in our Instagram and our website for the contest, and we hope you all check it out. For all the truth seekers, change makers, and goal getters, Inside Tracker is guided by science and powered by you. You know, there are people of color that are, you know, athletes, but there's definitely not a lot. Um, very, very few, quite honestly. Um, and you know, I always love when I, I see little like little black girls, and like, oh, like how do you how do you do that? How do you get involved in that? And you know, I spend extra time. I'm not going to lie. Extra time, like figuring out how I can help. Hey, like what do you, I actually donate one of my wheelchair, um, my old racing chair to, to one of the little girls so that she could try, um, and, and get involved. Right. And just talking with her mother Hey, she needs to do this and getting that access to the equipment. Oh my gosh. Like a roller is like $500,000. Well, if you live near a track, right. Or can't use a school track, you know, like I just mm-hmm. wish that there was more of a, pool, I guess, like funding to, to access funding for equipment and things like that. Yeah. That's great that you do that. Um, can you talk? Okay. So I have a question about the technology, you know how, like, there's a lot of debate now about like shoe technology and just track advancements. And I know in the cycling world, it's like all about the bike. So like in wheelchair racing, how much is about the chair? Um, or is it all pretty standardized? Like there's one, you know, Beamer chair. And that's the one we all use. Like, what is it like there? No, so it's definitely different. Um, you know, um, the lighter the better. Um, but some may, you know, depending. I guess. Okay, so I can't really speak for the men's world because I know that's a bit different. But you know, because they get some flexion with sometimes some of the carbon and all that. But the the, the goal is to be as low lean and aerodynamic as possible because you'll go faster, right? But a lot depends on how uh, much your uh, wheels are cambered or how heavy your chair is and how your seating position is, you know, it gets right down to the tires, quite honestly. <laughs> and are you um, sponsored by a chair company? Like, are you kind of locked into what chair you use? Or I'm how- not right now. No. Okay. Um, you know, I, but I've only ever used um, top in. So mm-hmm. I just really like the way their chairs are. Um, but I'm sure there's other really great ones out there as well. But I, I have a, a hybrid. So it's part carbon, part uh, aluminum. I love it. And it really helps. Um, you know, bound, but, but, you know, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still really, really new. I feel like in the racing world, so I'm not as tech savvy. Um, but I do know like a lot of times, like 
even down to the wheels you use for racing. You know, sometimes if you're, if it's a windy day, you don't want to have, um, you want to change the kind of wheels you're using. Even for the track, some people have spoke carbon wheels versus others have um, just a full, um, I forget the name of it, but it's like a hard, it's all solid carbon wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so even down to, like, to the gloves people use and the tack you use, depending if it's like humid or if it's raining outside or if it's cold, things like that, right? So it gets very, <laughs> it gets very, very uh, intricate, I think. And mm-hmm. I've made a few mistakes because learning along the way of like what to do. Um, for instance, not having a tire if you get a flat, you know, <laughs> that's a huge mistake. So you don't want to do that during a race. I've only done it during training, though. So thank goodness. Um, but yeah, you know, really learning and feeling my way forward through it, I think, has really helped me too in in the Paralympic world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how often would you have to replace your chair? Like, does that last you a certain number of races or a certain number of years? So I've I've replaced my chair a few times only because um, I hadn't quite had the proper seating and measurements when I first got my first racing chair. That's another big thing too. I didn't mention when you're getting your racing chair, a lot of people have no idea who to go to to help them get the correct measurements. And that could be huge, even as a newcomer coming in and not understanding how that works. So really be able to get some insight on how that works. And, you know, Daniel Romachuk has been really great about teaching a lot of the athletes. He's been a really great role model. I think, um, for a lot of the wheelchair athletes getting in, involved. So um, I don't, I changed my chair a few times. Um, I've probably changed my chair. This is my third chair, I want to say, since I started in 2016. So, uh, but typically you wouldn't do that. Um, but the tires though, I mean, you the, um, you can change tires out a lot and they are very expensive. I mean, I think the podiums I, I, I had used were like, $180, you know, something insane, you know, for, for, um, for tires. So, whereas you guys might have track shoes, mm-hmm. they're not nearly as expensive as <laughs> what we have to do. So again, going back to our funding and sponsorship and all that, that is huge for Paralympic athletes. I love that Team USA has now began coming up with a program to help more of their, um, you have to be on the team, obviously, to receive that, but they're coming with initiative to help us get more sponsorship, which I really do appreciate. Hasn't been rolled out yet from what I can see, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that's going to work and help those. But, I mean, the other part is, um, you know, having athletes who have had experience with that, helping them get knowledge of how to get sponsorships and how that works, right? Because I think when you're fresh into the world, you have no idea you just want to race, right? You have no idea all the other little things that you need to be prepared for being elite athlete, you know? So really having some training and guidance on that, I think would be really helpful as well, I think, to mm-hmm. newcomers. Yeah, I would love to see more shoe companies and sportswear companies just put more into it, more investments into it. Um, y'all are yeah. on TV working hard. You know, you're getting the spotlight that, that they could benefit from too. So right. we're wearing, the, we're wearing the, the, the names, you know, mm-hmm. so... Feel like why not? It should be like the sports car races, like lots of yeah, lots of yeah, all, all the logos technology everywhere. There. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I'm curious, like, um, what speeds do you go? Like, how fast do you get up to on in your bike? So it really depends on what terrain I'm on, and um, you know, if I'm downhill, you know, I can get anywhere up to four. You know, gosh, pretty. I think the highest I've gotten is probably 30 wow. to 34 miles per hour. No, probably more than that going downhill. 
Um, now, if wow. I'm straight flat, like if I'm in Chicago with no wind, um, I'm probably hitting um, 17 miles per hour is, you know, something like that. Um, you know, my, my mile, I mean, again, I, I'm not training as much as I was, so it's probably different now than it was, but you know, the, I know the standard mile to be considered like team a or, you know, um, a standard was like four minutes and 36 seconds, something like that per mile. It's, 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 Uh, is it fun to just go that fast in general. Yeah. I love it. People are always so scared going downhill. I'm like, (laughs) we sometimes kind of tricky when, you know, you're hitting a turn. Um, Mm. That can be a little scary. Actually, I did Boilermaker one year, my first year at Boilermaker. (laughs) And I was coming down the hill. And, you know, that's another thing. People, when you have spectators, not really how... Not really sure how to like maneuver around chairs. Again, this is also new learning on my part at that time. I was a very new racer <laughs> and I like was trying to get water and someone stepped out and I flipped her and I like flipped over and I landed mm. on my face. Oh no. That's my first major race. And I ended up like, I have a permanent scar down my oh, eye. Oh, no way. That's but so I dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So you have to be like, you're kind of, you have to be afraid nearly coming down like you have to be really careful with I I wouldn't say be afraid but be cautious right you know you know as you're coming up on uh on on the downhill you're kind of want to don't hard break I'll just tap your brake kind of like a bike right Mm -hmm. and then prepare for that turn um but I'm never never scared I mean I feel like Mm -hmm. you you just in any sport, you get hurt, you get up, you want, you yeah. push stuff off, you go at it again, you know? There so. you go. There's why you're such a good at. There's why <laughs> yeah. you're a professional athlete. Probably that little bit of fearlessness is probably needed. Kind of mm. like what Mary Wittenberg was saying, Ro, do you remember that? With the, mm. um, some of the cyclists have to be really good at just like not being afraid going yes. downhill because you pick up a lot of time. Exactly. Right. And fear like to kind of <laughs> like make your body too tight and stressed. Right. And yeah, that's not you can't because you might ruin your time or or that, that's first second place, you know. <laughs> so, so worry about your life, your time is all that matters. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> I think I'm just getting I'm just getting more o- older and conservative as time goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, two so. in a way it's kind of funny I feel like each even watching my daughter do certain things I'm like oh god don't don't flip over backwards and you're like mom I'm fine I'm like no 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 just in case you hurt your neck <laughs> <laughs> what does your daughter think of she's watched you compete what does she think of the sport and what is she into like does she want to do track now is she a runner I think so she loves it she loves it you know she's very very tall for her age you know people have been trying to get her to do running for a very long time um but she loves it you know I think she just loves going to be a part of it you know she's been with me to New York a few times and just kind of talked to a lot of the kids how that works and I it's nice because um I always said since she's grown up she has never seen disability she has never seen it like when she draws pictures she's always just drawing me you know it's never she does not have any even talking to like kids she's they're like oh what's wrong with your mom she's like nothing she just has this she's a part of this world that she's always been a part of, but she has no bias, right? She has no, um, she sees it just as she is, you know? Um, and she loves going. I think she hates training with me because I'm like, okay, one more, you got it, one more, you know? <laughs> but she does love running and she can honestly be an amazing long distance runner or even a hurdler, quite honestly, with her legs. So we're, it's, 
we'll see what happens. In <laughs> she, she does love being a part of it. Maybe yeah. steeplechase, Ro. You got any tips? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, Michelle, no, no. Um, this has been such a great interview. We don't want to take too much of your time because I know you fit us into your work day, yeah, among other thank things. You. Yeah. But no, you're bad. You're so busy. <laughs> Um, one of the questions we like to end off with is just, you know, here at Keeping Track, like I mentioned, we like to tell women's stories. Is there any part of your story that you would like to tell that you feel like doesn't get told or an aspect of you that doesn't get, um, as highlighted in the media or any message you want to get out there? Good question. That's a really interesting question. I know Um, we need to start asking people this beforehand. So they have time to, (laughs) we're like off the cuff. What what do you want to say? Um, you know, I'm always highlighted in the media a lot for, you know, my racing career, uh, which is great. You know, I, I love that platform. I love to do that. But I think it's okay to also highlight sometimes just being, quote unquote, normal, if that makes sense. Just being mm-hmm. a person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just being okay. Like, right now, I think it's kind of where my head is right now. Just, like, recognizing and normalizing just not having to be a superstar if that mm-hmm. makes sense or, or, like mm-hmm. a, or a super mom or whatever that, 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 that term is, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, um, superwoman, that's what it is. Um, and just, you know, even though I love, I love all the different roles I have in my life, um, but me as a person, you know, and just, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, that's probably sounds so cheesy, but like mm-hmm. recognizing, like if I have these down times, it's okay. You know, yeah. like, or mm-hmm. if I'm not doing something, I'm probably always doing something right. But <laughs> if I'm not, if I'm not excelling, it's I don't know. Like it's it's all right. Yeah. I think many people themselves are not always on the up and up and up and up, right? Even us as athletes, we always have this time when we just are. I don't know. We are where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just normalizing that for individuals period. You know, I think our society has really created this platform of what are you doing? What's your next book? When are you doing this? How are you doing this? Oh, I need to have this done. You're like, no, like, it's okay. Sometimes just to be, I hate to say basic, but basic, right? Just to be, (laughs) just to be, just to be. (laughs) Do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, we are seeing now with this pandemic that this world we have created this this mind frame of like we're always going to be doing a b c d and e f g is not sustainable mm-hmm. and what we're seeing is across the board that people's mental health is really on a decline mm-hmm. and i think just normalizing hey it's okay to be in your space what are you doing for you right mm-hmm. how are you really how yeah. are you you yeah. know and i think that needs to be normalized. And I wish sometimes people just ask me, Hey, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? How, you know, just, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. I so cheesy, but I no, I love that. How we we're so hyper-focused on the achievements and not the right. space in between. That's like, that's your life. Yeah. And the whole thing, person. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. always achieving, right. We're always going to be achieving these goals. We're, and we're always failing, right. We're always failing for it. Right. We, no one on this earth, I don't care who says it has it all together. And they're not always going to ha- be perfect. So mm-hmm. I think it's okay to normalize. It's okay not to be perfect or to be great at everything. Just do mm-hmm. what you love. You know, spend time with yourself in the here and now and just go for it, you know? I love I think- it. 
It's so good and so powerful because I think, uh, you, you know, all athletes experience it that like the world sees them in this way and they're like, I'm all this other thing too. And I'm all this. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm only this. I'm only valued at this, you know, and that's, that's such a, it's such a shame because like you're saying, there's more to that. There's more to right. you. And like, yeah. Yeah. And people don't see, even as athletes, they don't see all the hard training that goes into it. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't see how many times you had to practice that start to get off, but you know, to, to hit that, that, that time. Right. They don't see all the blood, sweat and tears. Right. They don't, they don't yeah. see that. And I think it's okay to recognize that, Hey, you had a good day today. Even if it didn't go how you wanted to go, you had a great, great day today, you know, mm-hmm. and just, I don't know. Like, yeah. So. Yeah, there's like the whole like seeing that image of the tip of the iceberg, like we see success at the tip of the mm-hmm. iceberg, but all that underneath is the big part right. and the success, yeah, exactly. and the hard work. Totally. And, you know, I had to go through all this other stuff before I got here. And this is who I am down here, yes. here you know, yeah. so... Yeah. Don't forget about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The whole person you. and the mm-hmm. whole journey. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Well, thank there you so go. much, Michelle. We were um, really glad we got to talk to you today. Congratulations yeah. on the new career as well. And uh, good luck through. this year. We hope, well, we hope we see you in Tokyo. For yes. Us. And I hope <laughs> I see you in the fall, maybe at one of the yes, marathons. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a million. Thank we you, Michelle. Take care. Bye, okay. guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Keep chatting. Keep chatting. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.